Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Lee Milligan, CIO at Asante. In this segment, Dr. Milligan talks about the unique circumstances under which he assumed the CIO role, the request he made to his CEO right out of the gate, and the enormous difference it can make when you're able to reframe an argument, especially during budget season. So first, let's just get a little background about the organization. And you've been with Asante for 19 years, is that correct? Yeah, it's a lifetime. It is in this field. Um, yeah. So just a, a basic overview, um, what you have in terms of hospitals, you know, where you're located, things like that. Sure. It's a, uh, it's a three-hospital system uh, at present with a, a multi-specialty medical group with about 300 docs in it, uh, located in southern Oregon. The three hospitals, the flagship hospital has around 400 beds. Our second largest has about 200 beds, and the third largest is about 100 beds. And it's a regional referral center, so we draw from nine counties to our flagship hospital. In terms of revenue, we're crossing the billion-dollar threshold this year. So we're, we're still small, but not as tiny as uh, we used to be. And we have an ACO, clinically integrated network, that has been up and running for a few years now called the Asante Health Network where we're, we're basically 20% into the journey of population health. We had taken a, okay. uh, a broader step a few years back, and we pulled back from that, and, and now we're, we're doing it, but not quite as boldly. We have most specialties represented. There's only a few things, frankly, we don't do here. We do everything here from some advanced plastic surgery to fairly advanced eye care. Surprisingly, this is a kind of a, a retirement area, so... Um, there's okay. kind of a boom of ophthalmologists here. So we have some of the best trained, highly specialized ophthalmologists on the West Coast here to interventional radiology as it relates to stroke care. So we do uh, what's called thrombectomy where somebody has a stroke and instead of giving them this powerful medicine called TPA, you can actually go in and grab the clot and remove it, which is oh, wow. a fairly advanced capability for a smaller place. Yeah, oh, that's very cool. And then as far as uh, how it's, it's governed, the, the board of directors is made up of physicians and some local uh, volunteers. Like, how does that work, and, and how does that affect the way decisions are made? Great question. The physicians who are currently on there are ex officio, which means that they're on there by virtue of the fact that they're, they're the chair of the medical staff of the individual entity. And okay. so they are, they're non-voting. And the rest are made up of essentially business leaders from the community. In a really interesting twist, I actually served on the board for three years as a voting member while I was employed as CMIL, which is a bit strange, but it was because yeah. our medical group decided to, or actually the board asked that the medical group have a representative on the big board. And so I was elected to do that. And so it was, it was an odd scenario, one I probably wouldn't repeat. It's put me in a very right. awkward position, but I learned a lot being in the thick of it, having to vote, having to read all the, all the, the pre-read material and thinking through some of these strategic decisions surprisingly really helped me now that I'm in this position. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. So you're, you're moved to the CIO role, which was earlier this year. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how this came about? Yeah, so... Um, the, my predecessor was in the CIO role for 24 years. You know, it's interesting. When you have somebody in a role for a very long period of time, certain mm -hmm. things get done a certain way. 
right. just because. <laughs> That's yeah. just how it always happened. And in early January, it's actually January 9th, I believe, we were having a scenario where our CEO was retiring. And he had been here for okay. 20 years. And so he was retiring. And the first day in the job for the new CEO, who also has been here a long time, was January 10th. And on the last day of the outgoing CEO's tenure, my predecessor in this role abruptly resigned. Okay. I don't know all the details around that. Uh, I just know it was really abrupt. And so the incoming CEO called me and we had what I can only describe as a really interesting, strange discussion. (laughs) I was in Portland at the time and uh, I was downtown and I get this call. Actually, when I landed, there was a few texts from him. So I wanted to call him back, but I didn't have a chance to until I was downtown. So I tried to call him, missed him. He called me back immediately and just told me straight up, hey, CIO resigned. Let's talk about this. He and I are friends. And so I think we had a really good conversation about what this means for the organization, what this means for ITS leadership. And we didn't actually see it as a negative. We, We really kind of together thought, you know, this is an opportunity for a brand new way of looking at this work and fresh eyes on, on this work. And let's, let's approach it that way. Let's look at it from, hey, if we could do this all over again, how would we construct, how would we frame up ITS to better support the mission of the health system? Yeah. And so framing it that way, it, it still felt daunting, but also felt like, hey, he's going to give me some liberty to be able to you know, think about this with fresh eyes. And because we're on the same page, my ideas were his ideas and vice versa. And yeah. so I will admit that first night I was tempted to text him in the middle of the night and say, no, I changed my mind, don't want to do it. <laughs> but then the next day the announcement came out. Okay. And so you started as interim CIO? That is correct. I was interim CIO from January 10th till early April. Okay. But the understanding was that it was going to become the full position? Yes. He, he told me that straight up, yeah, which, okay. which I appreciated. I mean, to be totally fair, what I told him at the time was, look, this is a chance for uh, you to try me out, but it's also a chance for me to try you out. From a career trajectory perspective, I was headed towards uh, the CIO position. I wasn't sure if here was the right place or not right, sure. for, for a lot of different reasons. And so what I told him straight up was, look, it's a chance for you to try me out, but also I get to try you out. And if this isn't a great situation, then, you know, we shake hands, we part ways as friends, and we move on. Yeah. That's a good position to be in for both of you. So I imagine it takes a little bit of the pressure off, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And I also, I really got the feeling, remember, he was coming, this is his very first big decision. Yeah. (laughs) He's, He's coming in as CEO and his guy for 24 years of IT is now gone. Right. And uh, so this is kind of a big thing. And also, the, remember, the board is his boss. And so the board looks at him and his decisions in the very beginning, especially before they trust him, they're going to be questioning everything. And so this was a big deal for him to get this right. But I really appreciated how he how we navigated that scenario. Right. Okay. So then you don't you don't change your mind at the last minute. So how do you yeah. approach becoming the CIO? Probably the biggest word that comes to mind, Kate, is uh, humility. I Mm. I really had to be honest, probably more honest with myself than I've ever been in my professional career to size up what I do really well 
and what I lack. And I tried to, to seek input from people I know and trust who would tell me things honestly, not just say things that I wanted to hear. And so I took the first, I don't know, week or so to really spend some time understanding what I brought and what I don't bring. Yeah. And once I categorized what I felt like I was good at and not so good at, I then approached the CEO and I said, look, I've assessed the situation briefly. I have an idea of you know, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are for this role. And I'm going to need your support in shoring up some of those weaknesses. Yeah. And so I asked for, ultimately asked for two things. And, and the weaknesses that I identified were finance. I felt like this is a big deal. Getting the budget right, identifying if we're truly adding value, not just products, making sure we're as efficient as we can be, and making sure we're not wasting money. I don't have an MBA, so that, this stuff's going to be new to me. Yeah. I'm a fairly, fairly practical guy, and I'm, I'm very budget conscious, but still a lot of new concepts, a lot of new way of looking at numbers, a lot of things to care about. And so I asked for a financial person part-time to work with me on this, particularly as I prepared for budget season. And so I was fortunate, you know, one of the advantages of being in the industry for a while is you've got a lot of friends you can reach out to. And I reached out to a friend yeah. of mine named Court Garrison, who's VP of informatics at OHSU, which is our big um, academic center here in Oregon. Okay. And he had worked with Pam Tucker. She's a CPA and she's done healthcare specific finance, uh, IT finance for many years. And okay. so she and I connected and it's been a marriage made in heaven. She is awesome. I love working with her. We get along great. She's provided a lot of insight into how we allocate our resources. We just closed budget season last week. And my team collectively told me that it was the best budget season they remember. It's usually a very painful experience. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. But I think together we were able to navigate that really well. So that was one thing. And then the second yeah. thing I asked, I asked for out of the gate, I asked for a CIO coach, not a professional coach, but somebody okay. who has been a CIO, who's done this work before, who knows what the big piles of mud are you can step in and who could help navigate that. And yeah. uh, he said yes to both. And it's, it's been a really good thing. So how did you go about finding uh, the CIO coach? Um, I reached out to Bill Russell, okay. and, and he said yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because nice. I, okay. I admire the work that, that Bill's done for a while. Yeah. I like you know, watching his video interviews and whatnot, and so I thought I'll just yeah. start there. Okay. Yeah, he, he does know his stuff. So is it something where you would just you would have some conversations and uh, he was a resource that you could go to with certain questions? Yeah, a lot of it was navigating the politics. A lot of it was navigating, yeah. you know, how to frame things up. And I'll go back to the budget for a second. So for the budget to yeah. be successful, it really took a combination of, of Pam on the number side and Bill on the strategy side. Pam could short, help me shore up the numbers so I knew exactly what my numbers were. Bill could help me think about those numbers in a way where I could present a story to the key people so that the numbers – didn't get buried in all the other numbers. Okay. And so, so together, I felt like, you know, I was able to navigate that much better than I otherwise would have been able to. Yeah. Real quick, going back to that, the budget, what do you think was the biggest factor in uh, that being a successful budget session? Um, a couple of things. The first is that the finance folks like to look at something called the run rate. The run rate is basically the current fiscal year's spend that has been extrapolated to the end of the year. And so they look at that. And so they basically what they say is, look, if your run rate is, let's say, 50 million, your run rate's 50 million. Why does your budget for the new year show you need 60 million? Yeah. 
And so the, the run rate is always lower than the budget. There's a lot of reasons. One is because there's asymmetric purchases. There's also, we generally have a number of folks who leave the organization. There's always that absence of vacancy rate, 5 or 6%. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons why that would be lower. And so they start right there, and they basically want you to get to or close to the run rate moving okay. forward. And I felt like that was, the wrong, that was the wrong metric to follow. I felt like that was the wrong number to care about. And I had to be delicate about it. But instead, after I talked to some friends in the industry, I came back with a different metric. I said, look, if you care about us hitting a 3% margin year over year, that's, that's the focus, then what's really important is that IT doesn't outspend what it does in comparison to the rest of the organization consistently. Yeah. And so a better metric is what is ITS spend over the entire operational spend? What is that percentage? And right. when I looked, I went back four years, and each, each of those years, it was either 4.9 or 4.8%. Um, and my budget was coming in at 4.5. Okay. So I was able to show really clearly using numbers that they provided me that our current budget is significantly lower than what it has been historically, despite the fact that I'm way above your run rate. And yeah. I found that to be a really effective conversation tool. It was hard to argue. The second thing I think that was effective is I, I built a relationship with our CFO. Uh, my, my predecessor and the current CFO um, didn't get along at all. They were, they were um, always at loggerheads. Um, yeah. And I, I realized that, look, he's got a job to do. I've got a job to do. I've got to figure out a way to get along with this guy. And so I started meeting with him kind of ad hoc. I set up some formal meetings, and then I was put on a committee together with him, and uh, we, we have a few things in common. And I found out I actually like the guy. I mean, we, we get along just fine. He, are there things he says, says that I don't agree with? Sure. Yeah. But a human being doing his job, and, you know, we got to figure out a way to work through things. And so I found that a combination of reframing the argument and actually having a relationship with the people you have to negotiate with, that combination proved powerful. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. And that's, that's not how things have traditionally been done with CIO and CFO. Exactly. The third thing, just to add one last thing to the, the concept, yeah. you really got to understand your numbers well. You really have to understand how things are calculated. So, for example, we had an executive team meeting right before the budget closed where the focus of the meeting was on the corporate spend. So that's HR, that's finance, and that's IT. And the entities, the hospitals, were a bit upset because they get basically taxed in order to pay for the corporate uh, budget. And they wanted to understand, what are we spending money on? And so, you know, around this room, like 22 people around the table, um, a lot of very critical questions were coming my way for about 45 minutes uh, on the topic of the IT spend. I'll give you one example. One of the CEOs, one of the entities says, I see here you're adding 19 new FTEs going into fiscal 20. I paused, I listened to what he said, and I said, before yeah. we talk about the ad, let's talk about how that number is calculated. It's calculated based on a snapshot in, in April, and then they look at that snapshot and they compare it to what the FTE count is going into 20. And I said, there are three different components to that. The first is we had, at the time, 13 vacancies, which is about 5.5% of my total FTEs within IT, and that's industry average. And so the next three were folks who were hired, but they were budgeted to start after the middle of the fiscal year. Okay. And I said, 
the third bucket is folks who were hired new in 19, but they went through all the proper channels, including our position control board, which includes our CFO. When you add those three up, that's 19. There's actually nobody new for 20. You, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> at the end of that. You can't just accept at face value some of these statements. You have to go back to how are we calculating these numbers? Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.